Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, you already know by the title of this episode that we are going to dive into CRT, critical race theory, on today's episode, specifically in the context of education. Now, I did a little bit of discussing CRT on some of the episodes last summer, so you can always go back and check those, um, And but I do get questions about this all the time. I know this is something that you guys are wrestling through, and I thought I would go ahead and address it in light of education, in light of some recent headlines. So at the end of last month, at the end of June, 29 Republican-led state legislatures had considered laws to penalize schools or teachers who teach critical race theory, CRT. The laws are also sometimes referred to as divisive concepts bills. So these are this is legislation that seeks to outlaw the teaching of divisive concepts, CRT primarily being one of them. And nine state legislatures had enacted such laws by the end of last month. So that's what's prompting this specific episode is we're seeing a lot of movement, especially in the realm of education surrounding CRT. Now, state bills that are written in reaction to these state bills are written in reaction to genuinely bad things going on in the classroom. There have been reports of things happening in various classrooms around the country that are really disturbing. These bills are a reaction to legitimately concerning situations where students ranging from kindergarten through 12th grade have had to participate in classroom activities that are arguably racially discriminatory. So there's an example of of an identity confession being required in Nevada or third graders in California who were required to analyze and rank their various identities of power and privilege or middle schools in North Carolina who had to stand up in class and apologize for their privilege or schools in New York teaching that all white students perpetuate systemic racism no matter what. So there are definitely reports of real problems. There's no data on exactly how widespread situations like this are, but there are these pockets in education where parents are rightfully alarmed, especially if students are being compelled to say and proclaim things to sort of um, say out loud a point of view that they don't necessarily believe in or agree with. We have a strong tradition in this country that opposes compelled speech, so I do think it's absolutely important to protect that. Of course, there's a lot of helpful, important, needed debate over the usefulness of these bills because they are likely to inadvertently shut down free speech. If these bills are so broad as to sort of protect um, students from hearing divisive concepts, then they are going to inadvertently outlaw other things that we want to be talking about. But if they're written so specifically, then they're probably not going to be very useful or very powerful because they're likely going to outlaw things that are already illegal, things that are already already protected or prohibited by the Constitution. Of course, you probably know that school board meetings across the country are really heated these days. In fact, I have heard from friends who are both educators and school administrators and parents in my own specific county and neighboring counties that our local school board meetings have been very heated. And of course, there's movements popping up all over the country and social media is especially loud in this area. So, What I want to talk about today is what is a Christian parent supposed to do with this? That's the question I get from most of you, and it's something that I'm thinking about myself. How does a Christian parent navigate this moment with the increasing popularity and conversation surrounding CRT and our children's education? 
So first, I want to encourage you and me to take a deep breath and know that there are parties on both sides of this this issue who stand to gain a lot by being very vocal, by being very polarizing and very alarmist about this specific issue. The people, the networks, the Christians, the churches, the publishers, the conferences who are the loudest on both sides of this issue stand to gain a larger audience, larger followings. Polarization and anger and fear sells. We know this. All we have to do is look at cable TV, social media, even look inside our own hearts. And we know that it's tempting and feels somehow sort of safe and secure to go, to run to a corner and to be polarizing. Fear sells. So recognize that that is going on, that networks are not making money by discussing these issues with fairness, clarity, nuance, and seeking out unity. They are gaining followers revenue, um, a larger audience by selling you fear and polarizing ideas. I think it's really easy and really honestly lazy for us to align ourselves with maybe CNN or Fox News on the other side or one popular teacher over another and not really engage in the conversation in a meaningful way or to be really doing our work to understand personally what's going on. I think it's important for us who are Christians to be separating ourselves from the secular conversation. There's this entire secular conversation happening, and I think we're going to get more into this as we go on in the episode, but I think because some of these conversations have not been happening in the church, people are attracted to the secular conversations, and it ends up being that we as followers of Christ are really having the wrong conversation because we're participating in something that is secular rather than engaging these issues with a biblical worldview. So my first encouragement and reminder to you and me is that we do not have to give our allegiance to either side, to either tribe. There is a way to rise above this specific issue and to find some sort of transcendent middle, a way to acknowledge that there is common grace and God's truth in the midst of this debate, and we can parse out what is good and true and useful, and then we can reject what is anti-biblical or what is not helpful. I am not a proponent by any means of CRT, and you're going to hear more about that as we go on, but I also reject the false dichotomy that says as Christians, we're either for the gospel or for CRT. This is a false dichotomy that sets us up as enemies in the church before the conversation ever even gets started. So personally, I refuse to have my emotions exploited for the gain of one side or the other. Instead, I want to slow down. I want to do the research. I want to do hard work and get to the bottom of what it is that scriptures say and culture is saying and apply my biblical view. I want to evaluate what's true and I want to move forward with the help of the spirit of God. So secondly, my encouragement to you and me is that we have to acknowledge that CRT has gained popularity and momentum, both in secular spheres and inside the church and in our schools, because as a nation, we as Americans have not done a great job of discussing and recognizing our deeply racist past and how that has adversely affected our presence, our present situation. I know this is true because of so many reasons, but one, would I just want to like to go back to what happened last summer when I invited anybody to join me in reading the um, excellent work by Isabel Wilkerson called The Warmth of Other Suns. Now, um, it's, hundreds of people reached out, maybe not hundreds, dozens, close to 100, reached out to me um, in that time and, and we're reading it. And I still hear from people on a weekly basis that they're finally picking it up and reading it now. And what I hear from everyone, it is unanimous, is I never knew this. 
Isabel Wilkerson's book. You can find multiple um, articles that I've written about it on my website, but she does such an excellent job of just discussing um, the history of the United States and race, everything from slavery through the present moment. She follows the great migration from the South to the North, and it's just really eye-opening, really enlightening. But everybody that read that, young or old, not, you know, from any region of the country said, I never knew any of this. Why didn't I learn this in school? So it's pretty um, unanimous that our country has done a poor job of engaging in that conversation. And of course, Jim Crow and segregation and civil um, the civil rights movement, that's all in very recent history. So even in areas where we are doing a good job of having this conversation and discussing history in a way that is helpful and not glossing over um, atrocities that are true, this history is not really history. It's in this lifetime. It persists today. There are things that we need to be talking about that are currently taking place. Our Friends who are people of color have been lamenting and mourning and begging us, especially those of us who are siblings in Christ, to listen to their stories, to be quiet and to hear what they have to say, and to mourn with them and to share with them in their lament. So we have to just be honest about the reality that CRT has exploded in popularity because we have done a poor job of acknowledging and engaging our racist history. I really appreciate what Professor Anthony Bradley said recently on Twitter. He said, had conservatives actively explored how race affects American life since 1965 and provided a better constructive account for actual racism, there would be no banning of CRT today. So I totally agree with him. If we had done a better job, CRT would not have to have exploded in the vacuum that we had left. So while CRT as a theory, if you want to call it, you know, critical race theory, or some people call it a lens or a movement or a worldview or whatever category you want to put it in, it is constantly in the headlines now as controversial and divisive. But that has not always been the case. These issues of race have not been as controversial and divisive and as inflammatory as they are now, you know, just a few years ago. I think of Christian theologians and pastors and authors who were speaking with compassion and curiosity just back in 2014. I came across an article today written by a very popular Christian pastor and theologian who currently is writing on this and speaking at conferences on this. In 2014, he wrote an article that was extremely moving and gracious and mournful and lamenting the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. Well, now that very same pastor that very same author is speaking strongly and vehemently against critical race theory. Six, seven years later, his tone on race is very different. And so that that um, strong shift, that big change in evangelical Christianity here in the U.S. over the past five, six, seven years is really bewildering to me. And I think we need to pause and ask, why are pastors, speakers, conference holders, authors, why has their tone, their opinion, their um, the way they view race and reconciliation and justice, why has it changed so much in the past five, six, seven years? One example um, comes out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I am not Southern Baptist, but in 2019, the SBC gathered and made a resolution about CRT. And that resolution said this, and I'm quoting, 
general revelation accounts for truthful insights found in human ideas that do not explicitly emerge from scripture and reflects what some may term common grace. And critical race theory and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root causes of the social ills that they identify, which result from sin, yet these analytical tools can aid in evaluating a variety of human experiences. So just two years ago, the SBC was saying critical race theory is comes from common grace, like general revelation, the truths of this world, theories that even come from man. There are some helpful things in them. They can be a helpful tool. They can aid us in understanding the human experience. Well, two years later now, the same theologians who gathered at that convention are now decrying CRT and calling it, um, even going so far as to calling it evil and destabilizing of society. So these same theologians have just made a huge shift in the last five or six, seven years. This shift from compassion to anger, from a useful tool born of common grace to an evil that is now destabilizing the church and society. So I think we really have to wrestle with why this shift And what I want to remind all of us is that this does not have to be a zero-sum game, either in our classrooms or in our churches, in our families or in our relationships. We can, at the same time, say that America is an exceptional nation, that there are wonderful things about the United States, and at the same time, there are some awful sins of our past that even persist into the present. And we want to acknowledge both the good and the bad. We want to acknowledge the progress and where we still need to make progress. And we want to look forward in a way that will honor every American. We can do this. We can say both at the same time. We can take an honest look at history and hold both truths in the same hand. There are many praiseworthy things about American history and American culture, but there's also many horrific and awful things that we cannot hide. We cannot simply just hope that they go away. And of course, this current moment also um, bears witness to violence and exploitation and brutality that people of color have and do now unnecessarily and disproportionately suffer. So we can say both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Both can be true. So just to summarize, so far I have said two things that I think we as parents who want to wrestle with CRT and education need to do. One, we need to know that we do not have to be forced into a zero-sum game here. It's not all or nothing. We don't have to be polarized or made to feel fearful or angry and rush to one corner or the other. And secondly, it's important to note, and just to be honest, the reality is CRT, CRT grew out of a need. There was an inadequacy on our part as a nation, a church, a people to grapple with the inequities of our past. And so CRT has taken root where there was plenty of space. So moving on, third, I think we've got to remember that we are having a hard time understanding, defining, and grappling with CRT because of this cultural moment. If you feel like, gosh, I don't even really know what CRT is. Is it this? Is it that? Some people call it this. Some people call it that. You are not alone. That is how all of us are feeling right now. One of the things that has been so volatile in this national CRT debate is that people simply cannot 
agree on how to define it. It has been notoriously difficult to define. So some go back to critical theory. Some associate CRT with the Frankfurt School in Germany. Some look at CRT from a legal perspective dating back to the 1970s in the US. Some are calling it Marxism. Some are calling it a total worldview or even a religion. And of course, what I think is happening most often is CRT is becoming this like catch-all, like just this big dumpster where you just throw anything into it. Any term or concept that comes up in our national conversation on race or history or inequality, they're all caught now by this big CRT net. So in these conversations, I think it's imperative that you and I listen, that we would be generous in our communication and let people define what they're saying. Let them state what they mean and then give them space to define the terms that they're using. We are going to need God's help and ask him to help us to be patient and to be generous, to be kind, to be slow to speak and quick to listen, and to not slander or lie, especially about our brothers and sisters in the church or other people in general about what they believe, you know, sort of exaggerating or stretching the truth or being like, well, you know what they believe over there. It's so bad. It's like this, but rather being really careful to say, here's the specific words of what this person believes and not drawing conclusions or going further than even what they're willing to say in themselves. And this is, I'm seeing so much of this happen inside the Christian church where there's just this um, eagerness to sort of label different camps and go, oh, well, you know, they're totally into CRT or they're very anti-CRT or using the pejorative, you know, oh, they're woke or they're not woke. Um, even amongst brothers and sisters in Christ where, you know, on both sides of this issues of this issue, there, there might be men and women who preach the gospel clearly. They adhere to the scriptures. They proclaim Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. They proclaim salvation by grace alone through faith alone. They exalt Jesus above all else, but then they are labeled as a Marxist or even as heretical or a false teacher or as somebody who is doing great damage to the church. And I think we have to be so careful. Like these are God's kids. How do you feel when someone calls your kid a name? How do you feel when someone messes with your kid? We cannot do that to each other. They are precious in the sight of the Lord and we need to be slow um, to launch accusations or allegations against one another. May our conversations, especially in the church amongst each other, just be saturated with char- charity and generosity and love. Okay, so moving on. The fourth thing that I want to address is that, yes, indeed, CRT is hard to define. And what I want to say to you and me here is that's okay. Because honestly, that's the what CRT is exactly is a bit of a moot point in the conversation that we should be having in the church. What CRT is exactly is not of utmost importance here for us who are in Christ. It's okay if there's a misunderstanding surrounding it. In this conversation of how we should handle race and history and education in our nation, how we should be teaching our children about the past and the present and casting a kingdom-oriented vision for the future, everybody's using all kinds of definitions, and that's okay. Because CRT at the end of the day is a secular theory. It is a secular answer to a massive problem of inequality, specifically our racialized inequality in the United States. The conversation that Christians need to be having is what does the Bible say about justice? Because we're not having this conversation well in the church, because for decades, hundreds of years even, multiple generations, we have not, in general, I know there are pockets where this is not true, but in general, as a body of Christ in the United States, 
we have not really engaged with a ton of effort and enthusiasm and fervor justice and how, what the Bible says to us about justice in our cultural moment, um, because that conversation is not taking place inside the church, it's taking place outside the church, and then we're being drawn outside the church, and we're participating in a secular conversation, a conversation that, frankly, we should be having best, because we know the worth and the value of diversity amongst image bearers, and we know the worth and value of justice and mercy for image bearers. So we should be leading in this conversation, not dragging behind. We should be out in front, not actually causing a vacuum. So kind of the main thing that I want to get across, and I'm going to go deeper into this, but I want to encourage the Christian parent to be so familiar and engaged with what the Bible says about justice that you can easily spot anything that is less than that when it comes up in the church or in your kid's school or whatever. We have in the word of God, a robust and beautiful understanding of justice. It is all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I have a whole episode on biblical justice. It's number 46. You can go back and onto my website or into Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen from last summer, and you can download those and listen to those again. But I just want to say the more I study biblical justice, the more worship inducing it is to me. It is glorious because it takes after the character and the nature and the kindness of our God in heaven. Biblical justice, you guys, is able It is good, it is pure, and it is satisfying, far more satisfying, far more relevant to this conversation than CRT or any other secular um, theory. Just to give you a little glimpse, the five facets of biblical justice are community, equity, corporate responsibility, individual responsibility, and advocacy. If you want to know more, go back to that episode 46. In addition, I will link some great articles in the show notes. So bottom line is biblical justice is far more satisfying than CRT, far more satisfying than any secular theory. In the final analysis, really, CRT asks us to do too little. Biblical justice asks us to do way more. But if we avoid talking about justice in the church, if we don't engage it, if we don't study it, then we are going to fail in our responsibility in loving God and loving neighbor. And not only will we fail in what we are called to do, but as a result, people in our churches are going to leave because they have an inherent craving for justice placed in them because of the image of God that they were created with. And so they're going to leave our churches because they're thinking nobody's saying anything about justice in here. I'm looking at the world and the brokenness and the um, inequality and the injustice that has gone on for centuries in our nation, and my church isn't addressing it. So it's no wonder people are leaving our churches to engage in the secular conversation because we're not speaking to it well. And so this is a hard word, but if you're seeing an exodus from your church or your family or amongst your friends groups, if they're leaving the church and they're engaging instead in CRT and secular movements, then we need to ask ourselves, how are we engaging our Christian faith, our Christian text, our Christian God, as he calls us to seek justice? This vacuum that we've allowed to persist is not without consequence. So, of course, we can debate various angles and tenets of CRT and various terms and approaches, but the Christ follower should be primarily concerned with actively promoting biblical justice. Biblical justice is truly satisfying and eternally helpful for so many reasons. So, I just want to talk about a couple a couple of ways that justice, as described in the scriptures, 
how, how it contrasts and how it's so superior to justice in the eyes of critical race theory. First of all, justice in the Bible is grounded in God's character, which is never changing. Whereas secular theories change all the time. They change with the time. Secular justice um, is all over the place, depending on the cultural winds of the age. But biblical justice remains the same because it is objectively rooted in the goodness of our God. Biblical justice is also comprehensive and complex. It does not reduce the human condition to just one thing. This is something that many social theories, I'm sorry, secular theories do. They um, inadequately reduce the human condition down to one thing. So the Bible acknowledges that we are shaped by social, individual, environmental, and spiritual forces. So in other words, in the Bible, we see that we are not only the product of our environment or only the product of our own choices. The Bible speaks to both individual responsibility as well as a corporate setting and corporate responsibility. So biblical justice can speak to the human condition in a way that is much more comprehensive and complex than secular theories. Biblical justice confronts power, oppression, and domination from a unique perspective. So those who follow a biblical ethic will always be concerned with the marginalized, the poor, the suffering, and the outcast. Secular theories are always going to be concerned with who's in power, who's oppressed, how to get power, how to, how to stop being oppressed, and how to um, be outside of being oppressed. But the Bible asks the question and frames the, the questions differently. The Bible encourages us to lay ourselves down on behalf of the marginalized. Because our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ, who in Philippians chapter 2, it says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our creator. This is our savior. We who are in Christ are transformed from the inside out, and we then become primarily concerned with not gaining or keeping status or power, and not primarily concerned with putting others in their rightful place of guilt or shame. We become primarily concerned with laying ourselves down for others, with using our own place in society for the good of others, with serving the least of these. That's what has always been so incredibly winsome and jaw-droppingly beautiful about Christianity. As we follow Jesus, we are so countercultural, so counter to our flesh, and we present to the world a faith that is warm, hospitable, willing to sacrifice. That's what set apart Christians in the first century, and that's what should be setting us apart today. So are we doing that as Christian parents, as Christian church members, community members, or are we screaming so loudly about what we don't want our kids to learn? that we are missing this opportunity to exemplify Christ. I ask myself this as much as I'm asking you. Are you known more for what you're against or what you're for? Are others attracted to your desire to serve, to make wrong things right, to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly? Do they see that in you? And I'm not saying that we need to avoid or ignore CRT altogether, not at all. But again, let's be so familiar with a biblical ethic with biblical justice, that we see the shortcomings of secular theories immediately. We can appreciate what's true and helpful in such theories. I don't think we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can acknowledge what's common grace, what's general revelation, what's helpful, and then we can reject what's not. 
And at the same time, we can offer a better, more satisfying ethic that is rooted in our perfect creator and savior. So here's one example, one very practical example of where biblical justice outshines secular theories of justice. One of the critiques of CRT that I hear all of the time, and it's a, it's a decent critique, is parents voicing in school board meetings or on social media is this issue of white guilt. CRT, as some define it, as again, there's so many ways to define it, but CRT, as some define it, requires white people to always feel guilt or shame for their skin color. But this is an example of where a biblical ethic is so helpful and so much more satisfying. We know from Acts chapter 17 that God ordained when and where each of us would live. He determined your nationality, your ethnicity, your skin color, your class, your gender. God determined those things. There is no reason for you or me or our children to ever feel guilty for those things. It's almost like if you're American, it's if you are born in the United States, you have tremendous privilege, education, housing, food, shelter, healthcare, so many things. I know obviously not everyone in the United States has equal access to all of these, these things. Clearly that's what this episode's about. But if you're born in the U S you have a privilege beyond what so many um, people of other nationalities are born into. I think it's pretty obvious that our white skin leads to privilege. This is generational. This is financial. I mean, the reality that there have been 400 years of slavery in our nation, that segregation and Jim Crow are not things of a distant past. There, it's just an obvious reality that white skin does lead to privilege, but that is not an indictment on you for being white. That is not a call to feel shame or to be, feel guilt. There's no biblical requirement for you to feel guilty for the skin that you're in. No more than you should feel guilty for the nation you were born in. Those things are on God. That's what he determined. But there is absolutely a biblical call to steward it. How will you steward your privilege? All that you have is from God above. So how will you use what he's given you to love him and to love others? How will you steward all of your resources to love the least of these? Again, bottom line, what I want to communicate the most in this podcast is not that you are totally familiar with how to wage war against CRT. More than that, I want you to be familiar with what the scriptures say about justice and how to engage that in your community. Finally, fifth, I just want to make some really practical points for parents in terms of CRT and education. The first thing, just practically speaking, I want to remind you that when it comes to education, no schooling method is perfect. None of them are going to be perfect. And I can speak from experience on this. Seriously, my family has done them all. And every single method of education has its downfall. So we say in our family, every year we have to pray for each one of our kids and make that education decision for that kid for that year, because things change and kids change and environments change. So like, for example, when we lived in the Czech Republic, we were missionaries and our children were required by local law to attend the local public school. So of course, in that context, we had a missional perspective, but our kids were enrolled and attended public schools in a socialist country, um, in a, in a culture that's highly sexualized, that has communism in its very recent past, definitely a different way of seeing the world and viewing the world. And so, um, we had to constantly be talking to our kids about what they were learning in school because in that public school setting, they were being taught day in and day out a way of viewing the world that was contrary to our own. Um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum right now, we have one of our kids in a Christian private school and it's not perfect either. 
there are things that she's learning at school, both about theology and culture, sociology, that I do not agree with, that her dad and I find reprehensible sometimes. And so at the dinner table, we have to talk about where her Christian private school education is falling short as well. There are going to be errors in any school that you send your kid to. And homeschooling is not without fault either, because in homeschooling, you're going to be limited to your own perspective and you're going to have to make a real effort and be really intentional as a parent as to how you educate your kids outside of just your own perspective. One thing I loved about homeschooling, which is something we did for 13 years, in addition to all these other methods of schooling that we participated in, one thing I loved about homeschooling is that we did have the opportunity to dive into issues of race and history. You all know those are passions of mine. I love to study race and history. So my kids were watching that documentary Roots at a very young age, younger, I'm sure, than any public school would find okay. Um, And we were reading novels to help them understand our nation's racialized past. They knew about slavery. They knew about Native Americans. They knew the plight of Black Americans, of immigrants um, from a very young age. That was just something that was pervasive to their schooling when we homeschooled. So we really wanted to engage the good, the bad, the ugly together. Um, But of course, homeschooling is not perfect either. So my plea to you parents is you cannot outsource this issue. You cannot just trust or expect your public school or private school to um, handle this rightly. We've got to be having dinner table discussions on a daily basis about the things that are shaping them. I just want to exhort you to not be lazy. Your kids are being discipled. They're being discipled by something. They're being discipled by someone, by their teachers, by their friends, by social media, by popular news outlets. Make sure they are being discipled first and foremost by you. And I also just want to encourage you here to expose your kids to all kinds of theories. I don't think it's helpful for us to isolate them and to pretend like some of these theories that we disagree with aren't out there. It's not helpful to shelter them. So an example would, of this might be evolutionary theory. You know, if your child is homeschooled or goes to a Christian private school and is only taught creation and never engages with macro evolution, evolutionary theory, and they go to college and suddenly everybody who is smart and reasonable and fun and winsome, um, you know, has totally bought into macro evolution, then your kid is going to be like, well, this seems very reasonable to me. Why would I not um, engage in this thinking as well? And not only that, but why was I not taught this before and what other things have been withheld from me? So the same thing's going to happen with CRT. If you don't expose your kid to it and talk to them about it in depth now, they're going to be engaging about it with their friends online or at youth group or when they go away to college or in the workplace. So talk about these things. Engage deeply with your kids. Show your kids why a biblical worldview, biblical justice is so much better and so much more satisfying. So beyond education, if you want to get involved in a legislative way, if you want to see some of these bills, um, divisive concepts bills introduced in your state, just know that legislation that seeks to limit speech in the classroom is likely to have unintended consequences. So if we ban CRT because we don't like it, we don't like some of it or we don't like a lot of it, or because certain iterations of it um, teach our kids to feel some sort of undue guilt or shame, then we're going to set ourselves up for a situation where other theories or speech are limited or censored or banned because other groups don't like them. So if we say, well, this is not allowed, we don't like it, then we need to be prepared for other groups to say, well, that's not allowed because I don't like that. 
I was grateful for what happened recently. There was that Supreme Court case that um, that case that went before the Supreme Court, where that cheerleader took her views to social media, and um, Justice Alito explained why her speech, even though it was, in my opinion, in poor taste and reprehensible, why her speech could not be punished. He said, and I'm quoting here: "Speech cannot be suppressed just because it expresses thoughts or sentiments that others find upsetting." And I think that's a huge American value, isn't it? That's our first amendment right that we want to really hold on to and protect is we don't want to suppress speech because it expresses thoughts that others find upsetting. Our better bet is to prepare our kids for those conversations, for those lessons that come up in school, for those class discussions. We want them to already be happening at home, already talking it through at home so that they are ready to encounter them at school. You know, school curriculum has always been political. This is not like new. It's not like, oh, it's suddenly very political. It's always been political. School curriculum always presents someone's view, someone's perspective on the past and the present, someone's ideal. So don't wring your hands thinking the sky is falling. This moment is so political. It's never been this volatile before. It's always been this way. But when it comes to curriculum in most K through 12 schools, that curriculum is chosen based on decisions that are made in combination of state legislatures, local school boards, and individual schools. So curriculum really should reflect the will of the people because legislatures and boards are usually voted in democratically. Um, so get involved so that you can be a part of that decision-making process in terms of what curriculum is going to be chosen. You can always join the school board. You can always be as active as possible in your kids' classrooms and know their teachers and know their administrators and ask to see their curriculum. And of course, you can always file a complaint and protest in other ways. But at the end of the day, you and I belong to Jesus. We are aliens and strangers in this land, and that is good. We don't put our hope in this world or the right to a specific kind of education, we put our hope and trust in the risen Lord. And we trust him alone to help our children. We trust him alone to save them and to reveal truth truth to them. Therefore, the solutions that you and I put forth, the conversations that we should be having, the way we engage race and history and CRT should be distinctly biblical and counter-cultural. You know, we might not to be might not be able to be expressly Christian in the classroom, but we can certainly be discipling our kids in our worldview and in a biblical worldview at home. So do not give yourself over to tribal allegiance. Do not give yourself over to this false dichotomy. You can love Jesus and find CRT useful, but not ultimate, or you can love Jesus and not like CRT at all. But what are you offering the world? How are you presenting the Christian faith? How are you drawing each drawing others in? Because as followers of Christ, we have an obligation to love both God and neighbor. So how are we loving our brothers and sisters of color, our friends of color who are outside of the church? How are we mourning with those who mourn? How are we listening, reflecting, working hard to understand our history and how it impacts our present moment? We don't do this to earn our salvation. We do it because we are saved, because we have a soul that is surrendered to Jesus and wants to identify as he did with the poor and the marginalized and the outcast and to lay ourselves down. We want to be asking, how can I will willingly and joyfully lift others up? How can I give of what I have, my wealth, my influence, my neighborhood, my education, my power? How can I give that away freely and happily so that marginalized people have an improved situation? 
Let's not be asking, how can I protect myself? How can I protect my neighborhood? How can I protect my kids, my schools, what my kids are learning? But how can I be an advocate for all children in my community, my city, my state? How can I see and encourage the least of these? You know, God has a high priority for ethnic diversity. Ethnic diversity is his idea. It's his, it's his design. We see it in Abraham as he becomes the father of many nations. We see it in Galatians chapter three, where Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We see it in Ephesians two, where um, Paul says, for Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And of course we see it in the new heavens and the new earth where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping our God. So the Lord designed and loves diversity. And at the same time, he loves and designed unity. God loves unity amongst his diverse people. How are you pursuing both? Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. 